in my head, I'm thinking he's either confident or he's a degenerate, <laughs> right? Like, I don't know, but... The- If you're someone who's ever wanted to start your own business, take your current business to the next level, live a happier, more fulfilling life, or learn how to have better relationships, this episode is for you. In this episode, I talked to Michelle Wax, someone with an amazing talent for starting and succeeding with multiple different businesses. Every few years, Michelle has started a different business and found a way to take it from nothing to profitable and giving her the freedom she wants to live her best life. Today, I talked to Michelle about her journey with all these businesses, how a brushing with death caused her to finally pull the trigger and start her first business, secrets she's learned about living a happy, fulfilling life that she discovered while traveling the country and filming her documentary, relationship advice from her current business of being a high-caliber dating coach, how to be more in tune with your gut and what you want out of life, knowing what's best for you, and much more. And quick note, thank you to all the listeners and subscribers out there. You're the reason I do this, so I appreciate you. And if you're not currently subscribed, please do it. It takes just a few seconds and means the world to me. Now, without further ado, I'm Jake Bernstein. This is Responsibly Reckless, and let's dive in. You're one of the most positive people I know, and I think part of it comes naturally. But I also think a lot of it is something that you learned through the documentary you did, American Happiness. And related to that, I think that American Happiness would be a fun place to start. So I'd love if you could tell the listeners a little bit about American Happiness, what you kind of did there, and then after we can dive into some of the things you've learned. Yeah, sure, sure. And yeah, so to kick things off, I in 2019, I traveled to all 50 states in my Jeep Wrangler, and I interviewed over 500 people on really how they created happy and fulfilling lives regardless of their external circumstances. So obviously, like with anyone, right, we go through tough times, stressful times, challenging times. And I really wanted to discover, okay, how does someone go from not being the most fulfilled or the most happy with where they're at to creating the life that they want to be living? Um, And I was particularly curious of this myself because I had externally like built the things that I thought I wanted to do. Like I had built a company, I, you know, was living in the area I wanted to live in, was in a relationship I thought was a relationship I wanted to be in, right? Or those things I was striving for. And I reached this point where I got those things. I had like objectively achieved them, quote unquote, but I wasn't feeling the most happiness. And so I decided to go on this wild journey and chatted with all these different people um, that I condensed down into a documentary in 2019. And then from there, was able to expand it out to a brand to host workshops and events for companies and schools to really share the knowledge that I had gained through doing that, uh, that process or that, that journey, rather. Yeah, I think that that's the coolest thing. And for starters, I'd like to give you props on the fact that you took initiative. Most people have these ideas of things that they want to do, and they just think about it all day. But you actually went out there and you took action. And a little bit later, we'll talk about your habit of taking action and kind of the Ebola scare that you had and Mm. how that catalyzed you to start taking action. We'll get to that later, though. And then second, another thing I want to point out is you had this thing you wanted to learn, how to be happy, what makes people happy. 
And what you did that most people don't do is you went straight to the source. You went to people who were happy and you went to go learn directly from them, where a lot of us may go ahead and kind of in convoluted ways, just read articles or Google things, stuff like that. So I think that that's a good note for the listeners. Whenever you do want to learn something, if you can go straight to the source, that's a great way to shortcut your success. So those are two things I wanted to point out. And then kind of going back to the documentary, I'd love to hear a little bit about some of the things that you learned along the way talking to all these people. Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. There were so many good stories, as you can imagine. And really, the two major themes that I or that were really unveiled throughout the journey was number one, how your mind is interpreting what's happening around you or what's happening in your life is a lot more important than what's actually happening. Meaning we have a lot more control over the meaning and the fulfillment and the happiness we're experiencing every single day, which is interesting because I feel like we're often taught and like really conditionally taught or like also through school as well. And and just really as you grow up, right? Often we're taught that you go after what you want and then when you get what you want, you'll be happy, right? That's kind of like the simple (laughs) direction or process to do so. And I think often when we reach certain accomplishments or achievements, it's a very fleeting moment in time, which it's good to hit. It's good to have the goal. But really the emotional state that you're in as you achieve that goal or even when you're there is a lot more within your control than I think we're often taught or you know to believe. And um, the second theme that I discovered was a lot of people – Because I chat with people, you know, young, older, like all different age ranges, relationships, jobs, all these different things. A lot of people had when they discovered that they wanted to shift their life, they weren't feeling the happiest or the most fulfilled. They made some type of shift or change or like even like wild move that at first the people closest to them did not understand. Sometimes they didn't understand it, but they were supportive. A lot of the times they weren't even that supportive of it. They thought they were like taking a step back or they were like, why would you ever do this? But they had faith in themselves and belief in it. And it really catapulted them into a new way of living and new way of life. Um, so those are the two two major ones. And I think personally for me, a big theme, which is like so simple but so powerful, is that everything is going to be okay. Like, because <laughs> I heard all these different stories and like you were able to shift it and change it. And you're really in a lot more control of your reality than um, we're often taught to believe that we are. Yeah. So I think you highlighted two really great points there. One, perception is reality where we can't control what's going to happen to us, but we do get to decide how we feel about it. Things happen and then we decide in our brains, is this good or bad? But the reality is you don't know what events will lead to what other events. You may win the lottery today and then get all that money, but because of all that cash, you may have some bad misfortune ahead of you. So we can't really decide if something actually is good or bad. And then additionally, you made a good point where a lot of these people might have been in a funk, living a life they didn't want to live, and then they made a lateral shift, maybe something drastic, and it took a lot of faith to be able to go against the crowd, stand against the grain and do what they knew was right, despite what other people thought about them. So I'd like to highlight that sometimes that's something that you're going to have to do if you want to live the life that's truest to you. 
And related to that, I'm wondering if you have any advice for people who might want to live a contrary in life, who might want to do things that other people don't necessarily agree with. I know that you're a very independent thinker. You live very true to yourself. So I think this is something that you embody very well. Thank you. I appreciate that. And it definitely took time to like build up the confidence in. I think when you're doing anything new, there's going to just be that self-doubt and that unknown, if you will, but the more comfortable you can get with sitting with that self-doubt, or maybe it's doubt from other people in your life, right? Um, that's really where the magic uh, comes in when you can just sit with it and like just know it's going to be a thing. Um, yeah. So my advice in if you want to shift or try something new is to like start with the smallest shift that you could possibly make. Um, going back to before I had American Happiness, I had a couple other companies. And when I was starting those, I really wanted to hold myself accountable for the idea that I just had, meaning put something out into the world where like I was more on the line. It didn't just stay stuck in my head. So a really simple step could be like creating an Instagram account for the brand or the idea or whatever it is that you want to start doing. Um, and just putting it out there, maybe even like following a couple of your friends so they actually see it. Right. And they're like, okay, we're like holding her accountable to it or him accountable to it. Um, and then really what's been, uh, just so, so important and powerful in my own life is the identity and mindset that you build around whatever shift that you want to make, because very often our minds are going to be our worst enemies if we don't use them to our advantage, right? It's can be very powerful as your enemy, but also very powerful as the person that is your supporter and really keeps you going. And so the, especially for entrepreneurs, like, yes, the product is important. Yes, the service is important, but really the mindset you have of like, do you actually believe you can do this, right? What steps are you taking to build that confidence and belief along the way is what's going to get you through when people are telling you it's already been done or that it's crazy or that it's not going to work or that why would you ever do that, right? Like that's what's going to help you get through as well is really cultivating the mindset and confidence. Yeah. A few points related to what you just said. One, I agree that if you want to do something out of the ordinary, get extraordinary out of the ordinary results, there will always be people who push against what you say. There'll be haters who tell you you can't do it or shouldn't do it. So just factor that in, take it as part of the journey. Additionally, one point that you made that I love is being able to sit with that doubt. I know I'm very into Zen life, meditation, things like that. I know you also embrace that sort of lifestyle. And I think it's important for people to recognize that these emotions we feel, they are not you. They are something you are temporarily experiencing. And being able to just sit with those feelings and view them more objectively and detach from them will enable you to better process them and to think more logically and make better decisions versus getting caught up in your negative emotions. Mm, also, yeah, I, oh, sorry. No, go ahead. No, I was just going to say I have a story to kind of add on to that, which was so fascinating for me because I feel like self-doubt was something I really struggled with, especially when like not many other people in my life were kind of taking the same path. And I went to this conference, I think it was 2018, and the speaker on the stage said, I'm going to read off a list of statements. And it was mostly business owners in this group. It was like, anywhere from like new startups all the way to like you've been in business over 20 years. So it's a whole bunch of business owners. 
And they were like, I'm going to read a statement off of this list. And if it applies to you, if you resonate with this, stand up. And so they read a bunch of statements. And the, you know, one of the statements was, I have self-doubt on a daily basis. And I was expecting, you know, maybe like 30% of the room to stand up. Literally 99% of the room stood up. And it's like, (laughs) this is a whole range of different people, different ages, everything. And the people who were sitting down, you know, they probably were just lying to themselves, honestly, right? Because we all have it. Um, So that was such a powerful thing to see. Like everyone experiences this. And it's it's a normal thing to, to have. No, I I love that. And one point on the story you made, I think that having self-doubt is just part of being human. And the reason I say that is because one of the jobs of the human brain is to find and solve problems. So by the fact that you're human and you're thinking, your brain is going to find problems that it needs to solve. You thinking will lead to self-doubt because you're going to have problems, whether they exist or not. And then your brain's going to doubt, was this the right answer or not? It can benefit us sometimes where we can pinpoint issues that we might not have noticed, but we need to learn to counteract it where the Zen meditation, things like that comes in and you learn to quiet the brain so you can have a little bit less self-doubt and take action. But like you said, for those who are experiencing self-doubt, which is everyone, accept it as part of being human and it's okay. Mm, For sure, for sure. One other thing related to your previous point about just creating that Instagram account, things like that, I want to highlight that by taking action, you will start to see results and you you will start to build the confidence you need to continue to progress. So for those who are wondering, where do I start? What do I do? How do I overcome this doubt? Just start, go do something small, take whatever action you can, and over time, momentum will build up. Yeah, for sure. So important. I feel like so often people feel like I'm not ready or I'm not sure if this is going to work. And it's like, well, if you it, like whether you think you can or you think you can't, right? You're you're right. I think that's a Henry Ford quote. Um, but yeah, having that momentum build by taking action is huge because like you're saying, you're almost you're proving to yourself that okay, I'm putting in, you know, the effort, the consistency around this. And of course the results come from that. But yeah, confidence is definitely built. I've done a lot of things where maybe I projected confidence, but I didn't feel it necessarily inside, right? Like that took a while to build up. So um yeah, just knowing that even if you do, it doesn't mean you're on the wrong path if you don't feel certain or confident in your idea, your whatever it is you're doing right away. And for building that confidence, do any other tips or thoughts come to mind? If not, I have a couple other topics that I'm looking forward to jumping into. Yeah, I think it's really just showing up is going to build your the most confidence. Showing up, like you'll probably botch a couple things or like say things in the wrong way or you think it's the wrong way or whatever it may be. But I think really the only way to build confidence is keeping the promises you make to yourself. I heard that from Ed Milet years ago, one of my favorite podcasts. And um, he's like, you build confidence by keeping the promises you make to yourself. And that could be in any area of your life. Because again, it's like you're proving it to yourself that you can do it and that you actually you know, showed up for this. And then you can look back and now you have this track record. Um, because if you think about the things that you're most confident in life, you've probably done them a good amount um, and, and have that track record already. Yeah, I think that that's great advice for those who are looking to go out and start to build that confidence. And closely related to confidence, let's go back to mindset. 
I totally agree with you how important mindset is both in success for entrepreneurship as well as in life. And if you look at two people starting a business, a lot of times the only difference between someone who's brand new and someone who's a veteran entrepreneur is that mindset, how they think about themselves as well as starting businesses. So I'd love to hear a little bit more about your thoughts on mindset, how mindset kind of plays into your life, and if you have any tips on mindset. So we, we could start with any of those, and then I'll bring up the other ones as we go. Oh, man. Yeah, so mindset's <laughs> one of my favorite topics to start with, because I feel like with with all of the work that I've done, all the people I've worked with, like normally, well, let me start with this. So really what I found fascinating about mindset is the science behind like why shifting your mindset actually changes your reality. Because I think we can think about, oh, it's good to shift my mindset. It's good to have, you know, more positivity or whatever it may be. But your brain literally has an area in the brainstem called the reticular activating system. And what it is is a collection of neurons that is filtering your reality because we're getting so many, so much information. I think it's something like 28 million bits at a time or something like that. And we can only handle like, I don't even know, like a very, very small percentage, like 0.01%. So your brain is always filtering and it's filtering to what's important to you and what you're focusing on. And so really, if you're focusing on all the reasons why something's going to go wrong or why you can't do it or, you know, all the negative things that's very natural to experience as a human being, our brains are wired to go negative. So that's kind of the interesting game. Um, but if you don't start to shift your mindset, this reticular activating system is not being used to your advantage. It's actually being used quite the opposite. And so really the simplest way to start shifting your mindset is to just become aware of your thought patterns and what you are thinking about day in and day out, as well as like, what's your first thought when you wake up in the morning, right? Um, as you go throughout your day, when you get a stressful email, like whatever it may be. Um, and yeah, I feel like the the mindset piece is huge because you it, it's just how do I want to explain it? Because it's it's such a big concept, I feel like. But when you start to use it to your advantage, like things start to shift in your external world that sometimes doesn't even make make sense necessarily. Like it's these synchronicities or these quote unquote coincidences where it's like, oh, like this person came to my life or this person found me online. They somehow find my website when they really shouldn't have been able to, quote unquote. And it's all these things that really start shifting when you improve your mindset. Um, and also, it's just like a more pleasant way to live, quite frankly, right? There's a lot of negativity out there, and there's the world just skews negative, right? Um, if not neutral, but like most people generally skew negative. It's no one's fault. We do have this negativity bias in our brains. But um, as you shift that, it really helps you stand out in, in a crowded world in like whatever industry or whatever area that you are in. No, there are a lot of great points to unpack there. I think that just piggybacking off of what you were saying with mindset, like you mentioned, there are so many different data points and stimuli coming at us that you're either going to focus more on the negative ones or the positive ones. We all have confirmation bias. We're finding data points that support our current beliefs about the world. And by trying to have a more positive view, 
you're able to start to find those data points and opportunities that actually favor you. So just by trying to focus on it over time, it will help you skew in the right direction. Additionally, one thing I like to say to myself is really awesome is better than realistic. I'd rather have a happy, excited life than one where I'm feeling down and negative. Even if I get the same results with either, I'm going to have more fun living a positive life. Mm. So why not do that? And then going back to awareness, awareness is one big theme I really want to push on this podcast and show because I think awareness is the key to so many of the problems that we have. And just by learning to be more aware, you're able to catch yourself in the act and then fix things. If you're not aware that you're having these negative biases, you're not going to be able to fix them. So practice your awareness, practice being more in the moment. Maybe you do a little meditation when you're eating food, maybe just eat food and not be on your phone. And again, related to phone, one good point that you made is a lot of times we don't even know how we start our days. So many people pick up their phones and they hop straight on Instagram or TikTok. That's a very aggressive way to start your day with lots of stimuli coming at your brain. So practice awareness, be more conscious about how you live your life and try to skew a bit more towards positivity. Mm-hmm, 100%. Yeah, it's it's one of those things too where it's like instantly in the morning you're giving away your energy and like attention to other people, right? So if you feel like you never have time for yourself or you're always stressed, it's like, of course you are because, right, like you're instantly giving all your energy away. No, I, I love that. And then one point I quickly want to touch on is American Happiness. You filmed this amazing documentary. It was a great experience. I'd love to hear how you sort of capitalized on the documentary and were able to then transition it into an opportunity for you to start to speak to audiences, turn it into a business, speak at businesses, because that's a pretty cool transition or opportunity to me. For sure, for sure. Um, So I filmed the documentary and as I was filming it, I was obviously chatting with a lot of different people. And you know, it is pretty like, what is she doing? Like she's going around in her Jeep, like she's interviewing people. How are you finding these people, right? And, um, but everyone I chatted with like resonated, right? They're like, oh my God, like what? They wanted to know the how, right? It's like, okay, this is what she's doing. She's trying to find you know, how people create a more fulfillment and happiness, but how do you actually do it? So as it was resonating more and more, and I got back to Boston, I was like, you know what? I, it was really just an idea I had on a walk one day, which I feel like is when like a lot of my good ideas come. Which I was like, I feel like I can build a brand off of this. Like, I feel like I can build something. And so I started out with the really what I had sought out, obviously, were like the everyday tools that you could use to shift your mindset, but also shift like your external reality as well. So what I started to do is build out workshops and um, programs that really shared those tools and also shared the stories of how people applied them and really the differences they made. So once I had a couple of those programs or, you know, they were about one hour workshops built out, I reached out to um, HR at companies. I reached out to organizations at schools, kind of whoever I thought might find this, you know, valuable for their teams or for, you know, people in their organizations. And it was interesting timing because as I was starting to ramp that up in like, 
really January of 2020. Um, I was doing everything in person because virtual was not as normal, obviously, back then. Um, And then, of course, in March, everything started shutting down. And I had a moment personally where I was like, oh, my God, my entire business is in person. Like, what? But I was like, Michelle, use your own shit on yourself. (laughs) And so I (laughs) used the mindset shift. So I remember reading Ryan Holiday's The Obstacle is the Way. And I just need a refresher because I feel like sometimes when you're so close to it, right, it's like, wait, I can use this on my own, you know, setbacks or what I think is a setback. Um, and so because I was, you know, a startup, I could pivot things very quickly. And so it actually had the reverse effect where I thought I would be slowing down in business. And because I shifted it and branded it in a way where people were looking for that for mental health, mental wellness, how to build more positive habits at home, right? Like reduce or or alleviate stress in certain ways. It really ramped up in like March and April, May. So I was able to grow that um, from there on out. So that's kind of the shift that I took um, in that timeframe to mostly I was working with HR companies that would bring me in. So I'd be doing workshops for, for their teams. Nice. Yeah. A few key points I'm hearing here. Feel free to add comments or correct me on any points. It sounds like you saw a lot of value that you were bringing in the documentary. And what you did was you found a way to take these pieces of value, useful information, and turn them into tools, reusable systems, reusable content. And then at that point, you went to bring it to the customers or the people who would benefit from it most. So be it HR at these businesses. And then you went and you talked to your target market, your customers, and provided value, iterated over time, and started to sell them or present them your solution. And then one other point is, I love the Ryan Holiday mention, great author, the obstacle is the way. Instead of cowering in fear at the thought that your business will be destroyed, you took a step back, you stopped mixing up the forest for the trees, vice versa, and getting caught in things. And you were able to quickly pivot by staying calm and taking action. And you actually leveraged this obstacle to create future and better opportunity. For sure. And I think there were a lot of, um, you know, just going to the documentary helped prepare me for like being on camera, being on film. So then when I was on a Zoom, I actually felt very comfortable in that versus a lot of people felt uncomfortable at the time. Um, And so it was kind of what I did is I kind of took stock of like, okay, what am I good at here? Like, what do I enjoy? Right? Where where people said that, like, I do bring good energy. And how can I cultivate that? So like package it into something that I can sell um, to to those businesses. Another good point on that, I think people are often looking for what should I do? What business ideas should I act on? Where should I start? You mentioned how you found areas where you were both providing value and enjoying them. I think that for those who are wondering possible ideas to do, try to think of things in those areas because one, the more you provide value, the more people will be willing to pay for it and the more successful you will be. Additionally, the more you enjoy something, the less it will feel like work, the more you will work when others feel like they need to step away, and the easier it will be to stay creative, keep going, and build up momentum. For sure, for sure. I'd love to switch topics now and talk a little bit about what you were doing before American Happiness. I know you were running a couple of other businesses. I'd love if you could tell us what those businesses are 
and then talk about Ebola and the near death scare that you had and kind of how everything got started. For sure, for sure. Yeah. So I knew from probably like age 10, I wanted to have a business at some point. You know, I had the lemonade stand growing up and all that good stuff, but I really was um, in the current mindset when I went to school that, you know, I'll wait till I'm like 45. I have some capital. I don't have like a car payment anymore. Like, you know, whatever it may be, I have more experience. Um, And so when I was working after college at a startup here in Boston, I had the idea to start my first business on the side, just, you know, startup company, which was a cookie catering company. And at the time, I just, you know, thought it would be something in the food and beverage industry. I wasn't really sure, but I was doing, you know, the research of like, okay, what permits do I need? You know, how do I actually get this off the ground? And I had been kind of pitter pattering around doing that research for close to a year, at least nine months. And it was at the time, it was in 2014 when Ebola was a thing. And obviously now compared to COVID, it's like, you know, I think there was like a few deaths, right? It wasn't like as blown as COVID did get to, but um, it was very big in the news and like the media cycle. And I remember coming home from work one day and just thinking to myself, like, Michelle, you've been researching this for close to a year. What if you, in some freak accident or freak incident, you get Ebola and then you die and you never even tried? <laughs> And it was like a very dramatic thing, which I feel like I'm normally not at all. Like I'm very chill and calm person. But that same night, I got everything going. I like got out, you know, whatever I needed to get the permits and to get going. And I started it um, from there on out. And I started really small. I was doing, you know, I still had my full-time job. I was doing farmer's markets on the weekends, selling online, doing pop-ups wherever I could. Um, and it got to a point about a year and a half in where I had really reached the capacity I could do working full time. And I, you know, it was very nerve wracking to think about, okay, could I do this full time? Could I build a team? Could I grow this? And, um, yeah, I decided to go for it. I remember having a call with my younger brother who, you know, he had never done anything like this before, but he was like, Michelle, he's always been kind of a rebel. He was like, Michelle, you can always get another job, but like, this is the time that like you're, you need to know if like you can do this. Right. And so, um, about a year after going full-time with the business, I also, uh, co-founded a kitchen incubator space with, um, my other, I didn't have a business partner in Kitchen Millie, which was the cookie catering company, but in the local fair, which was the kitchen incubator space, we had a commercial kitchen for production And we rented that out to other small businesses. So we had a space where they could produce their product. And then we also had workshops and classes and things like that, that we could really share how we started our businesses and help them with marketing and sales and all that good stuff. Um, That's where I really learned, okay, I don't actually like baking that much. I actually like the business side of things a lot more. So um, I actually read Tim Ferriss's book, Four Hour Work Week, and I started to, you know, think about, okay, how can I remove myself from this so it can still operate without me physically being there? Um, so that allowed me when I had the opportunity for, or when I had the idea for American Happiness to really step away and, and film it. Um, but yeah, those were the two businesses, both in the food industry, the kitchen incubator, and then Kitchen Millie with the cookie catering. Yeah, that's awesome. A few points I want to make, and then I have some questions I want to ask. 
one, I feel like a lot of us fall victim to what you fell victim to, which is overthinking, constantly overanalyzing. I just need to research this one thing and then I can finally get started. You found a way to inject a sense of urgency into your life. I'm going to die. And by doing that, you were able to force yourself to start to take action. So for those listening, find a way to add some urgency to what you're doing. Think about the negative repercussions that will happen if you never act on your goals and you let years pass. Additionally, I love that you leveraged your cookie business to start the kitchen incubator business. And this is great because whenever you're hopping on a new opportunity, the more you can leverage existing experience, knowledge, and resources, the better your chances for success. So the fact that it was a related business just made you that much more likely to succeed at it. And additionally, you mentioned how you learned through this experience that you really enjoy the business side of things more than the cookie side. The only way we can learn, truly learn, is by doing. So you need to get out there, experience things for yourself, and you slowly pivot over time to have more of a life you want. Where at first you start with the cookie business, you realize you like business more, you have the kitchen incubator, and then you keep on adjusting and building the life of your dreams a little bit more and more each day. Mm, For sure. I feel like that's so important too, because um, right now I'm also working with a lot of students at University of Connecticut. So I'm their entrepreneur in residence there. And so a lot of times, especially students, and I think this could apply at any stage in life, but you think you're very stuck in like what you're doing, whether that be your major or your job. I definitely felt that way for a long time. But sometimes you can't even fathom like what you're supposed to be doing, quote unquote, or what like the dream is until you've taken that next step. Like I could never fathom American happiness until I had built up that cookie company, right? Because I thought that's what I wanted to do. So I think that's really important to remember too is like the steps always are compiling along the way. Yeah. And a good point on that is making sure not to hold yourself inside of a box, not to unnecessarily apply labels, where if you just had the mindset of, no, I only have this cookie business, you would have never started the kitchen incubator and you might have never moved on to American happiness. So making sure not to limit yourself with labels and not to have too much of a concrete version or definition of who you are, being able to be flexible and adjust over time. Mm, yeah. And that's something too, where it, I've gotten now good at it, like re, almost reinventing myself or creating a new identity. But I stayed in that cookie business specifically for probably a year, year and a half longer than I should have, because it was very antsy. And like, I was very, I didn't want to be doing it. But I was very stuck in that identity of like, people would call me the cookie lady. And I was like, I, which is, it's so funny looking back now, but I literally felt so stuck in it. I was like, I don't know how I'm going to break out of this. And then when I did it, I was like, oh, like people don't actually really care that much. You know what I mean? They're like, they're like excited for what you're doing next. So it's kind of funny to look back on that when like some of the things that have such a hold on our minds, when you do go, you know, beyond them, obviously hindsight's 2020 always, but. Yeah, it's interesting to look back on. 
Could you talk a little bit more about that, about what was going through your mind when you were stuck in this identity and how you went about reinventing yourself? I think a lot of us get stuck in, oh, I'm a software developer, I'm a doctor, I'm a this or that, but we live in a world full of infinite opportunity and we want to be able to reinvent ourselves. So this is a very valuable topic for a lot of people. Definitely, definitely. So for me personally, it was, I've now identified the feeling of when I know it's time to make a shift. Um, For me, I feel very antsy. Like I feel, even though things are good, I don't feel motivated to be doing it. Um, And for the, the first time I felt it, I thought something was very, very wrong. I had people telling me like, I would even tell my dad and my brother who obviously love me and support me. They'd be like, why would you walk away from this? Like it's profitable. It's doing well. Isn't this what you wanted? Right. And it's kind of like, yeah, it's just having that in the back of your mind. But for me, I felt antsy. I couldn't quite place why I wasn't feeling fulfilled or happy in what I was doing. Like I wasn't sure if it was the business or the relationship I was in or some other area. Um, And that's when I started getting into the mind, quite frankly, and like why I objectively know, like looking externally in, like I have a lot of good things. Why is my mind doing this? Like, why am I waking up feeling stressed, right? Like, why am I wake? And that's when I started to get into like, wow, this is fascinating. As you start to shift this, really, you can shift, you know, your external, but also how you're feeling day to day as well. You make a really interesting point, which is that for all logical reasons, you should have, quote unquote, just stayed in the cookie business. You were profitable. Everything was successful, but you had these internal feelings telling you you needed to switch things up. And inside of us, we have both our logic as well as our emotions. And you're in this journey that we call life. And a lot of it isn't just strictly logic. We use logic to help us make decisions to support our goals. But a big part of life is living the life that you enjoy the most, the life where you have the least regrets. And that's why I like to think a lot about regret minimization. And for minimizing regrets, a big part of it is learning to follow that gut, listen to your gut, and make those decisions that may logically not seem right, where others say, hey, what are you doing? But you're being true to yourself and doing what you feel is right and what you know you need to do. So I just want to highlight that point. I I think it's great to point out that sometimes all of logic may say, don't do this. But at the end of the day, if you want to live a life without regret, you got to listen to your gut. Yeah, I I love what you said about the regrets because I think so often people think of the risk of doing something, right? The risk of making the change or stepping into that or whatever. But people don't think about the risk of not doing it, right? Or not you know, changing anything. And then it's like two years, five years, 10 years, like the end of your life. And you're still, you never actually went after it or you never even tried to do it. So that's something I always like to think about kind of the counterintuitive might be the wrong word, but it's almost like the counter way of thinking about something. (laughs) I'm like always thinking about that. No, I love that. Yeah. Most people just think about risk of What are the potential negative effects of me doing this? But they don't think about the flip side of the risk of not taking action because no action is still a form of action and there will almost definitely be some negative results. So you're better off taking action and having things on your terms instead of life just throwing things at you. Yeah. And with, with taking that action, right, you never know 
you know the first step, but you never know what the 17th step is going to be, right? Or like where that's going to lead you. And if you never take that first step, the fifth step is never even possible, right? Or that 17th step. So yeah, it's interesting to think about. Do you have any thoughts around following your gut or any advice for following your gut? I feel like, again, you're someone who's very in tune with how you feel, your mindset, visualization, and things like that. And that's something that people who are very type A into self-improvement don't often focus on, but can benefit a lot from as well. So I'd love to hear your perspective on those kind of things. Yeah, so for tuning into the gut and and really your intuition, this is something I've gotten more and more into the past couple years and things have gotten so much more in flow when you start paying attention to it and actually listening and I think that inner it's different for everyone but that that gut knowing that inner voice whatever you want to call it it knows a lot more. I'm getting like chills with this cuz it knows so much more than like you can consciously comprehend. And so the strongest or one of the, I've had, I have a couple of these, but one of the strongest examples of my intuition and listening to that gut feeling was when I had the idea to film American happiness, because it was the day after 4th of July, I was feeling like annoyed at life. I was feeling frustrated and I closed my eyes on my couch for a second. And I literally saw it like my intuition, like put that vision, like in my head and I could have easily ignored it. I could have easily just been like, oh, it's a cool idea. But like, I don't know. I don't have the money or I don't have the time or whatever it may be. But I felt like so for some reason I paid attention to it. And that led to so many other things. Um, I have like a lot of examples of this. But another one is when I was living in my old apartment in Somerville. And I was planning on moving like the following September. As you know, in Boston, most leases are September. And in January of that year, like I was just chilling in my room and I got this hit where it was like, look on Craigslist right now for, for an apartment. And I was like, what? But I look on and because it was still weird times during COVID, I was able to find this amazing apartment for like an incredible price, like an incredible area that simply wouldn't have been available later on. And that like led to me meeting my boyfriend in the same area. It was just like all these different things go after another. Um, and so it's hard to with all of like the noise of the outside world, you really have to get quiet to start hearing that. And so I know you're obviously into meditation as am I, but often like often our intuition or listening to that gut feeling, it can almost feel like we're ma- I'm actually taking a whole course in this right now. It can actually feel like we're making it up because it's in our subconscious, which is linked to our imagination. So it like, sometimes it's like, wait, am I actually supposed to be listening to this or is it just made up or whatever it may be? But the more that you practice it and you can start like tuning into it in small ways, right? It doesn't have to be like a drastic decision. Um, the easier it becomes to hear and to like the more that you – it's similar to building confidence like we were talking about before, right? The more you listen to it and you see where it takes you, then you have like that track record or that proof where you're like, okay, this is valuable to listen to the gut feeling or the intuition or whatever it may be. Yeah, I think people can think of it like a muscle you're learning to use that you haven't used before. When babies are learning how to walk, they fall a lot, but then over time, they get better at using the legs, those muscles. And by practicing using your gut and being aware of it, over time, you can have a more fine-tuned sense of what it's telling you and be able to act on it and take advantage of it. And then again, just highlighting the benefits of the gut 
we often mistake our consciousness for us. We have the paradigm of, oh, I'm just a brain inside of a body. But you have this whole interconnected system that's developed over time, millions of years of evolution, and there's a lot of intelligence in there. Your conscious brain isn't beating your heart, your subconscious is. It's controlling all of the cells in you, all of the nerves. Obviously, there's a lot of intelligence going on that we often neglect. And by being more open to it, you can learn how to tap into these things. So even for those who think this sounds a little crazy or woo-woo-y, just give it a shot. And over time, the data will prove that it works because you'll see the positive benefit to it. For sure. For sure. Yeah. It's it's one of those things where it become, you can very much ignore it, right? But if you just, just give it like a week or give it like a month or, you know, set time, that time frame and start proving those data points like you're saying to yourself because then it becomes, you know, undeniable that it's important to, to follow and listen to. Going back to the cookie business, a couple of questions I wanted to ask. First is when you were starting it, I know that you started it as a side thing while you kept your full-time job. I know for a lot of people, they're deciding, oh, do I just quit my job and start this business now? Do I do it on the side? What was going through your mind and why did you decide to start it on the side versus just saying, screw this, like, let me just throw everything away and just jump right into the, the business full time? Yeah. So the simple answer is the financial piece of things. Like I think I was 23, 24 at the time. And, you know, I didn't really have that much money, quite frankly. Like I still, I was paying rent, you know, I was had my car payments. I had student loans and all that stuff. Um, and I didn't feel like I had enough of a buffer to simply quit my job. And I think with the side um, component of it, like being able to do it at a slower pace or more organic pace. Because um, I could have easily, you know, probably taken out a loan or, you know, there's other ways to, to get money if you wanted to do that if you didn't have it. But um, it allowed me to become like very resourceful. I've definitely been that my entire journey in the entrepreneurship space, but like resourceful in building and like creating opportunities from very, very little. And I, that's something I enjoy is like creating something from nothing and like, okay, I have this, how can I sh sh turn it into this? Um, and that's something that helped me a lot with no matter, because I've had like a lot of money, I've had not much at all. And it's like, it kind of comes down to, okay, how can I make what I have work with like where I'm trying, what I'm trying to build and what I'm trying to grow? Yeah. And highlighting one good point, you analyzed the risk before jumping in. A lot of people get so excited about their big idea. They're like, I just got to quit my job and jump in full. Entrepreneurs don't take unnecessary risk. They take the risk needed, but they minimize risk and then they do what they have to do. So for those who are thinking, do I jump in full time? Do I do this on the side? If you can afford to minimize risk by doing it on the side, that's a good approach. And then additionally, if you're not willing to work nights and weekends on your side thing while you have a full-time job, what are the chances that you're going to start to spend 40 hours a week out of nowhere on this business? So it could be a good way to slowly ramp things up over time. Yeah. And just, I feel like in the beginning of most companies, or at least the ones that like I've, you know, listened to podcasts about, or, you know, have started myself where it's like at the beginning, especially you're, you have to tweak and pivot things to what you're learning, right? About your product, about your service, about your customers. 
So when you're able to do that, when it's like fairly, you know, you're not spending millions and millions on that component, right? Then when you do find the process or, you know, what is selling, what is working, then you can go like amplify that right away. But sometimes it takes a bit of most of the time, I would say, if not 100%, it takes a bit of tweaking at the beginning, both like within yourself of like, okay, what is the brand here? What am I selling? What am I creating? As well as letting people know about it and sharing it and things like that. Because, you know, of course, there's potential for something to go viral. But more often than not, it takes like more consistent processes of building or growth or exposure. Yeah, not expecting those big virality, big hit wins, but focusing more on consistency. How do I day by day grow this business a little bit until over time growth starts to increase and momentum is on your side? For sure, for sure. And when you did eventually make the leap to doing your own business full time, what was going through your head and what made you decide to actually go ahead and make that leap? I know that it can be scary for a lot of people. So it's interesting to hear what you were thinking and why you did it. Yeah. So I, you know, and it's interesting because I, t- I took it one step further where it was even more of like a wean off, if you will. So I decided I was going to quit the job, but I wanted to have something part time where I knew it would cover like my basic expenses. So uh, what I ended up doing is, you know, it ended up working in this pretty synchronistic way, or I don't know if that's a word for it, but um, I was working in account management and the they were really like, I knew they were kind of short staffed and then like I was the one who had been there the longest. And so when I left, the CEO asked me like, hey, we'll let you like work from home, which again, like was not a thing in 2014, really. <laughs> we'll let you work from home. It was during the summer too in Boston, which I was like, yes, we'll let you work from home. Like, can you, can you handle, or can you manage half of your clients until we find someone to replace? And that ended up being like four or five months. It was, again, it was kind of this like wean buffer. And I did like a little bit of other things too. Like I did Uber for a little bit. Um, Like anything that you can find where it'll relieve if finances are a component, right? It'll relieve that pressure. Cause I think that often can like for not force us, but like can push us to do things we might not otherwise do if we didn't feel that pressure in our businesses. Um, That can be really helpful. So I like got like started on the side, then I quit the job and then I kind of like reversed it where I was working more on the business itself. And then I had kind of like the side thing going until I was able to take it entirely full time. That's smart. I like that you slowly made the transition, both ramping up as well as ramping down on the other side. So I think that's a great example for others who are looking to run their own business. One question I want to ask is, I know that in our conversations, you and I have talked, you've mentioned how you sometimes have had moments of doubt where you've thought, oh, should I just go back to a day job? I know that that's something that a lot of entrepreneurs can feel when times get tough. I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about moments where you have felt that and then what went through your mind and why you decided to continue to do your own thing. Because I know that there are pros and cons to both approaches, pros to having the the life that you do, as well as pros of stability of like nine to five, more standard life. For sure. Yeah, I think the the biggest thing for me that I feel like has literally only just started to click in the last six months or so 
has been that consistency and like my if I want consistency in the business, I have to be consistent, right? Like you get what you put out. Like I'm learning that so much. Um, and I feel like we've all heard that, but like, I don't know, it's, it's such a simple concept, but the more and more you do it and show up consistently and whatever it may be, you're going to get that back. So, um, yes. So in terms of the job. So I feel like there was, so there was a brief time. It was right before I was ramping up American happiness. And I literally did get a full-time job for two months. And it was, um, it was, you know, quote unquote, a really good job to be having. It was a remote job at the time. And the people were great and all of that. But I felt again, that like antsiness that I mentioned before. And for me personally, I was like, yes, I'm getting a paycheck, but the emotional like energy and frustration I'm feeling like didn't seem worth it for that amount. Maybe, I don't know, maybe if they'd been paying me like triple that and I, you know, maybe, <laughs> but I feel it was funny too. Cause my friends were like, yeah, like I didn't think you'd last more than three months there. So I, I think it was just like, for me personally, I, I value the freedom and flexibility more than like some other people would more like sometimes people value more of like that security, that consistency, right. That comes with that. But for me, I felt like my soul was like just draining and it's not like it was a bad job even. Right. So, um, that's something where once, you know, once I decided to leave that, I was like, all right, I need to start working on, because for me, it's always been the finance piece of things. And I know everyone has their own thing. But for me, I think because the way that I grew up, even though my dad was an entrepreneur, I was like raised in the sense of like, full-time job equals like the way it's supposed to be done. And so I almost didn't believe fully that I could have that consistency in my own business, in my own company. I was like, oh, this is just the way it is. And so what I started to do is to seek out people, mentors and coaches that had done it and that had built this consistency and at a high level too, where like they were making, you know, a good amount and they were able to have that. And that's really when I started to observe like, okay, people that are in similar industries or what I want to be doing, this is how they're doing it. And I started to shift into those methods and strategies. So I think that's really valuable for any area that you want is like to find someone who's done it in a way that you resonate with um, and to, you know, learn from them as much as you can, because it'll just speed up the process a lot quicker than trying to figure it out on your own. And what were some of the things that come to mind as far as consistency goes? Because entrepreneurship, people often think of it as ebbs and flows, very risky. So being able to add some consistency is definitely a huge benefit. Yeah. So, so for the shifts I made in American happiness and then similar to what I'm doing now is at the time for American happiness, I was doing like one-off workshops. So a company would, you know, bring me in, they'd pay me a set amount and then, you know, it's like, okay, maybe they'll book another one, but there's no, right. There's no consistency really here. And so I started doing packages of workshops. And so it was a minimum of, I think I had a minimum of four workshops and it was X amount. And I was like, okay, if I sell one of these, right, I have consistency for this. Um, yes, when I started doing more individual coaching, 
what I did instead of, you know, one-off sessions is I did like coaches I'd worked with, they did, you know, six month containers or four month containers. And so it was that consistency baked in where when I signed a client, now I can space out that revenue and be like, okay, for four months, I know I have this. And, and you can do that, of course, for whatever time frame. Um, so that's really what I started. Like my biggest intention starting last year was like, Michelle, you know, you're going to be an entrepreneur. Like this is who you're supposed to be. Like, let's eradicate almost like this inconsistency that you've been experiencing. Cause it happened with the cookie company too, right? Where it, it wasn't, it's not like it's a predictable revenue necessarily of who's, I had roughly a sense, but it was like of who's, um, how much you're going to make this month and next month and whatever it may be. So um, there was a lot that went into that because it's a lot of energetics as well of like, what do you believe you can actually create? Um, and a lot of money mindset work, huge money mindset work. Um, but it makes it makes really a big difference um, in yeah, in creating the type of business that feels secure and it feels like, okay, this is supporting me as much as I'm supporting it and I'm contributing to it as well. Yeah. It sounds like you really started with the end goal in mind and you worked your way backwards where you thought, I want a business that is consistent. And you had a business model that was based off of that. So instead of just doing one-off workshops, you were able to start to have packages and work with the end goal in mind. Additionally, one other point on that, you get out what you put in. So like you said, again, with consistency, consistently putting in the work. So that way over time, you will get consistency from the business. And then I want to jump back to you talking about deciding to jump into your business full time. And you had a thought about going back to a day job, but you realize the type of life you want to live. You really enjoy the freedom and the fulfillment you get versus the stability. You were able to know yourself, know your values, and then you made decisions off of that. And for those listeners, there's no right or wrong answer. It's all about knowing yourself like Michelle did. Know what's important to you. Maybe the stability of knowing, hey, I'm going to be able to get a paycheck every two weeks and then I can spend my free time doing whatever I want. Maybe that's worth more to you. So being able to know yourself, not feeling bad about what you want and being honest with yourself. And on the note of working backwards from the goal, I think that you're someone who's really good about visualizing or thinking about the life you want and kind of working backwards from there. I'm wondering if you have any advice for people on how to, I guess, think about, define the life they want, and then sort of work backwards with the end goal in mind. Sure. Yeah. So right around that 2018 mark before I went on American Happiness, I was like, I'm not happy with what I'm doing. I'm not feeling fulfilled. And I literally wrote down a list of the person that I was stepping into becoming, not who I wanted to become, not who I wished it would, right? Like really being clear. And this goes back to like how our brain processes it, but really writing down in the present tense who you are as a human being, who your ideal self is, your ideal life you're living. So for example, when you're writing this stuff down, you always want to write it down in the present tense as if it's already happening because your brain registers that as more urgent, right? Going back to that um, versus if you're saying like, I want to do this or I hope I can do this, right? It's just going to keep pushing it off into the future. So 
what I always do when I'm looking to shift anything is I write down what is the ideal in present tense as if I'm already living it. And then I start to get clear on, okay, what's currently, like what are my current mindset blocks about this? What are my limiting beliefs? Like, do I really believe this? And often it's something subconscious, whether it's from our childhood or from like something that happened in our lives that we really have to release and start to rewire our brains in a new way. Um, And, you know, there's so many different ways that you can do this, but really getting clear on what it is that you want um, and then beginning to think about the person that already has this thing, that is already living this type of life, that is already in this type of a relationship, that is already making this amount of money, how are they operating in the world? Like, what are what is their mindset like? How do they, you know, how do they approach life when they go out on a date or when they're like, whatever it may be? As a really weird example, like, <laughs> for me, I always felt so, and I know where it comes from, but I felt so guilty ordering takeout. And I never, like $20 a takeout, like Uber Eats, I would feel so guilty. Like I'm about to like crumble inside. And I knew where it came from because like growing up, my parents would be like, we have food at home. Like you don't need to, we don't need to go to a, you know, we don't need to order anything. Like we'll go to the supermarket. But I I would spend, you know, a ton of money on like investing in myself and like my business and all this stuff. But for $20 to get a burrito, I literally felt this horrible feeling. And I'm like, Michelle, the version of yourself that is like living the life you want to be living, they're spending money on a burrito if they want a burrito. You know, so it's like stepping into that in small ways because like, you know, if one of your goals is to be flying in a private jet, right, you're probably not gonna be able to do that every single day until a certain level. But like, how in the small ways can you start to step into it in mindset and beliefs, but also like the action steps as well? Yeah, the closer you can bring the goal, bring the goal post, the more of a reality it becomes, the more it feels like you're already there. And that helps build momentum, enthusiasm, which helps you work more. And it helps you push through the tough times because you can already feel the positive benefits that come your way. Yeah, something that I heard on a podcast years ago that really helped is like, the more you can taste the experience, it brings it closer, like you were saying. So when I was in... um. Charleston a couple years ago, we, you know, had flown down there. So it's not like we had a car or anything, but we're like, why don't we go on Turo and like rent a Porsche for a day? And you know, it's like 150 bucks. It wasn't that much for that experience, but like you get a taste of it and then it just becomes like the more normal you can make it in your life, then like you're stepping into it inevitably. Uh, I talked to my buddy Dylan, who he's one of the first podcasts we did. And he talks about tasting different levels and how there are levels in all areas of life that we want to experience and achieve. And by giving yourself permission to taste these levels or try them out, you're able to feel what it's like and you can learn, oh, is this something I actually like? Is this something worth working towards? If yes, helps reaffirm your beliefs, gets you excited to work towards it, helps you achieve it faster. And if not, you learned, okay, like I've been working 80 hours a week to try and afford a Porsche took me $150 to realize I don't like driving Porsches. All right, now I can go and work towards something else. Yeah, and I think it's one of those things too where, yeah, I just remember because I've, you know, had so many external goals and I, I've i hit like a lot of them. And I, that's why I think I feel like I keep growing. But 
that moment when you hit the goal, yes, it is exciting, but it's more about like the emotional state that you're in day to day because it gets to a point where it's like, okay, I hit this goal, like I got this thing, right? But then that like anything in life, it'll fade over time. So the more that like what I found is, yes, it's good to have those external goals of what you want to buy or achieve or whatever, but also like what are your emotional goals of like, what do I want to be embodying? I actually have this like list behind me of my words to live by list of like, I have a couple words on there that's like, what's important for me to be feeling every day? Because that's often what we think those external goals or achievements are going to create anyway. So it's like, why not just cultivate them in ourselves? We do have control over that <laughs> versus external things. And yeah, start embodying like those, those things as well. Yeah, that's something that I live by too. One quote I love is, how we spend our days is how we spend our lives. Lives are made up of years, which are made up of days, which are made up of moments. So you want to focus on being as happy and fulfilled and enjoyed in each moment as you can. And by just focusing on each moment, that's how you're going to live the happiest, more most fulfilled life versus, okay, let me be stressed out, consciously, constantly anxious and working towards a goal. And then once I get that goal, I'll finally be happy. For sure. For sure. Yeah. One thing I want to talk about next is is related to entrepreneurship and you enjoying freedom and all of those things. I know that there is some level of inherent risk, even if you do minimize it. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on risk, how you both deal with the necessity of risk and minimize risk. And then after we can talk about like decision making and that kind of stuff. Yeah. So risk like in general for the business or for yeah. So I, I'd say risk in general, where I know when people are new to entrepreneurship, as well as in life, a lot of times we have things we want to do and there's risk involved. So I'm wondering how it makes you feel, how you get over it. And then if there's anything you do to try to minimize risk. Mm-hmm, for sure. Yeah. So risk, you know, it's funny. I feel like I don't think about that word a lot, but it is just naturally, I think per- people's personalities and and what they're drawn to. Some people are more risk averse, and others like don't. It doesn't affect them as much. I feel like it doesn't affect me as much as other people, or perhaps it did, but I don't really think about it as much anymore because I know whatever does happen, I can like grow from it or tweak something or get myself out of that risky situation. Um, because like now a bunch of things have gone wrong in my businesses and just in life in general. And I'm like, okay, I shifted this. This isn't ideal, but I can, you know, tweak it. So I think building that trust in yourself is really important because we can't predict the future. It's a lot, most of life is uncertain and unknown. Um, so like really where, what I come back to is like trusting myself, trusting that no matter what happens, I can shift or, you know, improve from it. Um, in terms of like minimizing risk, I think what we were talking about before is what I'll do often is I'll, I'll kind of do an audit of what is working currently. So this, you can do this in life, but also in business where I did this at the end of the year with my coach where it was like, okay, what has brought in clients? What does feel good right now? And you can do this at any level you're at. And then just going more in on that because it's like, again, you're just proving that tracker like, like this is 
this is working. How can I amplify it? Right. Versus trying out all these different things or like focusing on like what isn't working and trying to change it unless that's like the core of your business maybe. But, um, yeah, that's something that I like to do is, is zone in on that and then just say, okay, do I enjoy doing this? And if so, like, how can I just go more in on it? Yeah. I'm hearing how over time by taking action, building trust, you start to become less fearful and desensitized towards necessary risk, realizing it's just a part of what you do. And you actually switch your focus where instead of focusing on the possible negative outcome, oh, I may waste time or lose some money, you focus on what it will lead to and where it can take you from there. Yeah, yeah. Oh, no, yeah, go ahead. I was also just going to say one other thought I had was like, if you're in a state that you're not feeling good about, or you, you're you like, ah, oh, there's more here, or like, I want to do that. Like, I feel like it's riskier to just keep doing what you're doing, quite frankly, um, because it's like the famous Einstein quote, I think. It's like that doing the same thing over and over again is insanity or expecting a different result is insanity. Um, so I feel like often going back to what we were talking about before, like sometimes the riskiest thing can be just keep doing what you're doing and not actually shift anything or change it or try something new. Last thing on this topic, and then I want to switch gears, is talking about decision-making. I know in our prep call, you were saying how you've, over time, become very good at decision-making, at least as far as business goes. I'd love to hear any thoughts you have around decision-making, how to make good decisions, or anything else that comes to mind. Yeah, so (laughs) this, it's, I feel like making decisions, yes, there's the you know, weighing the benefits and all of that and the strategy, but it's also a lot of when you do make your decision, like being confident in it and not going, being like, oh, I should have done that. Or what if that would have happened? Because like, I think it's a Peter Crone quote. I, I might botch it, but it's something like the decision you made is the right decision because you didn't make it any other way. So it's like just going like, that's such a mindset thing that it's like so many people dwell on what could have been or what should have happened but that didn't happen. So it couldn't have happened any other way. And so I also read like years ago that like successful people make decisions quickly and they don't like overthink or over doubt themselves um, and just go with it. So I think paying attention to two factors, like first of all, like the more like logical pros and cons, like, okay, what can this help me with? But then also paying attention to like that gut feeling because sometimes something that looks good on paper could be the wrong decision if it's not if it doesn't like feel right and then on the reverse like something that seems like ooh maybe this is a bit of a stretch for me in my budget right now but like it feels like that's really what i need um to grow and expand those are two different areas to pay attention to and like not to negate one over the other necessarily along with building the belief of the decisions i'm making are leading me to where I'm supposed to go. Even if it's like a setback temporarily or, you know, something in this area happens, right, that leads you astray for a while, ultimately what you learned from that, right, will lead you back on the path or was a part of the path the whole time. 
Yeah. And one point I just want to highlight for what you were saying, a lot of successful people, they make decisions quickly. They just make those decisions. A lot of the decisions we have to make, we can course correct after. So decide if something is something you can course correct after. And then even if there will be negative repercussions to it, time box your decision and then just go with it because it's more important to make a decision and keep going than to spend a ton of time overanalyzing. This goes back to one topic that I talked about in a previous episode, uh, OODA loop, which is basically this concept that a famous fighter pilot followed, and it was how he won the majority of his uh, dogfights in, I believe, less than 90 seconds. But it's the idea of observe, orient, decide, act. By taking action, you're able to get data, and then you can make your next decision in a way more educated way than to just sit there and overanalyze your first decision when you have no actual data. When you're overanalyzing, you're making a bunch of assumptions. So get out there, take action, get data. And then at that point, you can make more educated decisions. Mm, I love that. Yeah, because it's like the other decision that you could have made, like you don't know how, you're never going to know how that would have turned out at that time, right? So it's like, I love that. What I'd love to jump into next is what you're doing now. So I'd love you to tell the guests or tell the listeners a little bit about what you do now and how you transition to it from American happiness. Mm -hmm. So now I'm a high caliber dating coach. So I help people that are feeling frustrated or challenged or not getting the results in their dating life to elevate their mindset, their confidence, and of course, their practical strategy as well. So I work with both women and men and really how I got into this now that we've like, now that I've shared other things is I started to feel that same antsiness with American happiness. And I wanted to go deeper with people because like I said, I was coming in, you know, to HR, I was doing like a one hour workshop. I could see it was helping, but personally I was like, "Mm, I want to go deeper with people. I want to go like further. And, um, quite frankly, for like close to a decade, I feel like I had been doing it unofficially. And it's something that I had always wanted to do, but I couldn't necessarily ever make the tie into American happiness and what I was doing at the time. Um, And so what ended up happening is I was on a call with my coach uh, before I started. And I, I was just like, I don't know what it is. I'm feeling so frustrated everyone's telling me this is a great business because I'm helping people feel happier, but I don't want to do it anymore. Like I just was like, I don't know why I felt very stuck in it. And I felt very guilty because I'm like, people are telling me this is awesome and it's helping and all that stuff. And I'm like, oh, it's not it for me. I felt that antsiness and I knew it was time to shift. And she asked me, she was like, Michelle, if you could do anything, what would it be? And my gut response was, of course I would do dating coaching, but I couldn't figure out how to tie that into American happiness And so I just said, I don't know. And then what ended up happening is I got pretty sick a couple months later. And, you know, when you're sick, like had a bad fever and like, I don't know, for me, I'm just like contemplating my life. I feel like a failure. You know, I was like, what am I doing? And I literally was like, Michelle, you need to just start creating some content. You need to, like I mentioned at the beginning, right? Make the Instagram handle, like make the account, put out a reel, put out a story, whatever it may be. And I did that. I think I had like 10 followers at the time. Probably half of them were like spam accounts, right? And I got a DM from this girl that I had gone to high school with. I hadn't talked to her in like 15 years. 
And she sent me a DM being like, Michelle, I'd love to hear about this. Like, I'm really struggling. And that was like literally a week after I started doing it. I was like, this is a sign from the universe. Like, how did this girl even find me? I hadn't told anyone at that point. Um, And so that that was my first client. And then like the way that I like I've grown it so much in, in the, you know, the time that I've been doing it, that it's just like been a very organic growth, but also I've obviously taken like everything I've learned from the other businesses and applied it to it um, as well. So um, yeah, it's kind of funny because like I had the idea for it years and years ago, but I just like didn't fully believe that I could, that I could step into it at the time. And I think like everything like that path, right. It like all led me to, to here. Yeah. And I think it's interesting how we'll have these ideas of things we should do or want to do in our lives. And we're always like, I'll get to that one day. And then eventually it is the right time where you develop these skills over time, became the person who you are, had the right identity. And at that point you can capitalize on things. So not letting go of these things you want to do, keeping them in the back of your mind and being aware of the opportunities in front of you, how you're growing as a person, a person, and eventually right time and skills will meet that opportunity. And then you're finally in the right place to act on it like you did Mm, now. Definitely. Yeah. Paying attention to, because like the thing that, the things that excite us, they aren't random, right? They're connected to something that you're supposed to be doing or to like, you know, in some way. And so just not pushing it down, right? And like maybe it does take some time to get you to that spot where you're ready to take action, but making sure that you're you're following what does excite you. And I, I love that this is what you're focusing on now with the dating coaching. I think this is such a valuable area. And I know that you and I have talked about how this is one of the most important areas for almost everybody in life. And yet somehow this is something that we're never taught as kids. You take home at class, you learn how to make cookies, but you never know how to learn about dating, how to go about getting what you want or being able to authentically present yourself. Yeah, definitely. And like, it's such a vulnerable area of life. Like relationships, probably the most vulnerable. And a lot of, a lot of people, myself included, do not have good, like a good, even a good role model, never like, let alone being taught anything. Right. Like my parents definitely no, thank you. I would not want to end up. They're great now. They're much happier now apart, but, um, yeah, like simply we don't, we don't have that necessarily. And even if you do, right, it's not like you really saw your parents dating probably, right, at least in the beginning. So um, yeah, it's one of those areas. It's just kind of a weird area of life. We're just, we're just expected to know it, but it's like how, right? And then people feel like bad about themselves or whatever it may be because you don't, but yeah, it's, it's an interesting area. Yeah. And I I give props to everyone who is self-aware enough to realize this is an important area to me, maybe one of the most important, if not the most important. Let me go out and work on it, seek help, despite the connotations around it or the worries that you may have. Because like Michelle mentioned, like you don't know what you don't know. You haven't been taught this. So go out and learn it. I, I think that that's amazing. So for anyone who's thinking about it, like don't be afraid to go seek help or go have someone help speed up your learning process. Yeah, because like a lot of the things too that I teach with the dating coach, or not even teach, but like guide people through is um, 
it's compacted down from the American happiness journey, right? Because I was chatting with people, not just about their careers, but of course their relationships and like what they shifted when they were divorced or when they were in this spot where they couldn't find someone, like what did they do to shift that? And so a lot of it is, it's the psychology of dating and strategy, of course, but a lot of it is the mindset and approach that like, how do you feel about yourself? How do you feel about other people, right? What do you think is available to you or not available to you? And so we really start with the internal piece of like, let's write down, going back to like, how do you create what you want? Let's write down what it is you do want. And then let's start to step into who that person is, right? That's going to attract that in return. So it's a lot of, it is focused, of course, on dating, but like literally everyone I work with is like, it it transfers out to all areas of life, you know, and it has this beautiful trickle effect out. No, I'm, I'm with you because so much of dating is really just becoming the best version of yourself, learning how to get rid of your unconscious biases, how to be aware of what you want, your needs, those kind of things. So it, it definitely does not just apply to dating, but applies to almost everything. For sure, for sure. Related to us not being taught this when we were younger and a lot of people figuring this out as we go. What are some common challenges you see from a lot of people as far as dating? Are there any common problems, common mistakes? I'm wondering what comes to mind. Yeah, so the biggest one that I see is the negative mindset. And I think it's it's easy to get sucked into because there's a lot of I mean like the like the world, there's a lot of negativity, right? Like it's funny because I work with both women and men and both of them are being like, there's no one good left or like the dating apps suck. There's no one good. And I'm like, well, <laughs> I see it from both sides, which is kind of like fun. And like, it's helpful to share too. Um, when I'll do like virtual events where people from all over the world, both men and women are on, they're saying the same things. Right. Um, so yeah, the, the mindset piece is huge. And then I think it's once you've decided, okay, this is what I want to attract into my life. This is the type of person I want really becoming that person that would attract that in. So we don't, we don't attract what we want, right? We could say we want all these different things, but you really attract who you're being, um, and really how you're showing up. So I always like to, you know, compare it to if you want someone who's optimistic and excited to get to know you and an interesting person that has a lot going on, you need to be optimistic and excited to get to know someone and, and right has a lot going on an interesting human being. And so stepping into those qualities and also knowing that you have a lot more influence over how well a date goes than again, we're often taught to believe. And I like to give the example of like everyone probably has a person in their life. Maybe it's a family member where whenever you're around them around the holidays, right? Like you start to feel stressed out or they're always negative. So like you're in a good mood, but then you get into a conversation with them and it's like, oh my God, like your energy is being pulled down. And then there's other people in our life where like whenever they're around us, like we feel like we're laughing or we're funnier, right? Or we're more happy or just like their energy is uplifting us. And so you also have the ability to influence like what qualities you pull out of someone as well. So if you're showing up to a date like stressed and just like burnt out from the day, that's going to influence that other person, what they're bringing as well. So um, yeah, it's really, really interesting when you start to like play around with it when you're going on dates or having conversations or meeting people, like just how you can shift your experience by like shifting how you're approaching it, right? Because we often like, especially with dating, 
there's so much focus on the other person, right? And we're like, looking for all these things in them. But it's like, what are you doing? Right? And that's really the only thing we can control anyway, is how (laughs) we're showing up. (laughs) No, I I love that. And that's so true. We're like, people will focus more on, oh, my future partner needs to have X, Y, and Z. But we don't really think about, okay, how are we becoming the best version of ourselves? What are we doing to be the kind of partner that our future partner is excited to be with as well? So focusing on both ends of the spectrum, both being clear on what you want, as well as constantly improving yourself and being the kind of a person who attracts the kind of life that you want as well. For sure. Yeah, I feel like there's two. It's like, especially with dating apps, we're often judging people very quickly on like these qualifications almost that like at the core of it don't really matter that much in a human connection, right? It's like, okay, you see their job, you see where they live, like, you know, yeah, exactly. (laughs) Like you see these things that it's giving like a very like snapshot 2D like billboard of this person when in reality, like, the core values of like personality and energy and all those things like really form that connection. And it's like, it's almost like a lot of the times it's not logical necessarily. And I think that's what people get frustrated with because it's, it's not necessarily something that you can like predict. Like people often with, especially with dating apps, they'll be like, well, how do I know that they're going to be great? Or how do I know? I'm like, (laughs) well, you don't, right. It's even like if you meet someone in person, you don't necessarily know their intentions right away or like know everything. Um, but yeah, I feel like just relationships and dating, it's kind of one of these more like, more of like an art of life versus like a science, which can feel frustrating when often like other areas like wellness or fitness or career can feel more like sciencey or like predictable in a way. Yeah. And I think one good relation to the whole thing of dating is previously we talked about how people will be chasing goals and they think that achieving it will give them certain feelings similar to dating, we're like, what person is going to make me feel these feelings? But you can't make the direct correlation. You can't know ahead of time without testing it. So going out and meeting people, learning how this type of person makes you feel, which characteristics maybe you're attracted to and which kind of turned you off. And then over time, being able to become more in touch with yourself and learning what actually makes you happy versus what you think makes you happy And then also learning what's negotiable and non-negotiable because in our head, we want a person who has X, Y, Z, and they have $10 million and blah, 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 blah. But it's like, how much do these things really make you happy? And realizing that the less things you need in a potential partner, the easier it is to find. Mm -hmm. So becoming very clear on what are the non-negotiables and what are things that you're willing to relax on a bit as long as this person makes you feel happy, loved, and appreciated. Definitely. And there's so many things too, where like, as the relationship grows, you and your and your partner, right, could grow into as well. So like some things that like might they might not be doing right off the bat, or it might not be as strong as you want it to be right off the bat, like that can grow. And I think often, there are the non negotiables, like, of course, you need to be attracted to this person, like there needs to be that. But and you, they, of course, need to make you be feeling happy and appreciated and supported and all of that good stuff. But there's so many things that I feel like often it can be easy to judge right away, but often thinking about like, would I want someone to judge me for this, right? Or to judge me because I said this one sentence when like, 
I instantly regretted saying it or whatever me, you know, of course there's like glaring things that we don't want, that we want to pay attention to, but, um, approaching it from like a more human approach versus just like, uh, like just negating someone right away, um, will allow you to get to know someone on a deeper level and like really see if there's potential to grow into the relationship together. Yeah, I think it's so important to give people benefit of the doubt because one, you would want them to do the same for you. And two, you have to realize that you're kind of shooting yourself in the foot when you don't give someone the benefit of the doubt, because maybe this is a great person that's sitting on the other side of the table and you're just looking for reasons to disqualify them early on. So just because they said one sentence that you didn't like, all of a sudden you're like, oh, this person's not the person I want to be with. When it's like, all right, let's take a step back and let's see who they are as a full person versus just projecting onto them, thin slicing, looking at this one thing they said. Yeah. And to give an example of that, that could have very easily gone in another direction. Like the first date that I went on with my boyfriend, he wore sweatpants. And I literally, and granted, <laughs> he had been like at work, like he was doing like inventory and stuff. So like he was working all day. I didn't know that at the time though, right? I just, and he spontaneously asked me, he didn't think I would say yes because it was like a Monday, but I did. And so I remember seeing that and I had a very like lighthearted, no pressure attachment to this person right at the time. But in my head, I'm thinking he's either confident or he's a degenerate, (laughs) right? Like, I don't know, but this is kind of a funny story. Let's go with it. And I could have very easily like judged it right away, which like granted, yeah, probably not the best thing to wear a first date. But, you know, it's just, it's like funny because if I had like said no, or if I had like instantly been like, oh, I got to go. Or like even after the date and like, "Mm, I can't believe that happened. Nothing else would have ever progressed. And so it's like, of course there are glaring things, but also like, how can you ensure that like you're having fun with it (laughs) and like be like, at least it's a good story or at least I'm going to learn something or at least this is what I am not going to do on a date or whatever it may be. You bring up a good point, which is having fun with it, where when you go on dates, you're meeting potential partners or I guess going after whatever it is that you want. Your goal should be to just have as much fun as possible. Because then regardless of what happens, your date was a success versus putting so much on your pressure to be like, oh, we connected over these five things or this specific things happened. As soon as you make it, I guess, results-based, quote unquote, that's a recipe for unhappiness, a lot of pressure, anxiety. So like you said, just trying to have as much fun as you can and making it a constant learning process. Definitely, definitely. Yeah, it's like if you're going to date, you know, why not have some fun with it? (laughs) Why not make it, you know, an exciting thing versus like a lot of people view it as this boring chore that has to be done Um, versus like, as you and I know, it's like, okay, why don't we bring some spice, (laughs) some energy into this? No, a hundred percent. And for those people who are on their dating journeys, do you have, I guess, either one of two things. One, any advice for learning about what's most important to them and what they truly want, either that or just general dating advice. So we could talk about either of those. Yeah. So I feel like if you're not sure what you want, it's likely because, or it's often because there, you might not have like tasted enough yet, not like physically tasted, but like gone on dates or had conversations, right? Or like seen what's attractive to you in a person or like what you're drawn to. That's often where I find that like people aren't sure what they want because they haven't 
tried it out almost, or they haven't been dating that much or whatever it may be. And so if you're really, really unclear, I recommend just kind of like releasing the pressure and just going on dates and then like seeing, like identifying after the date, like what was great? What did I not like? You know, what, what values are important to me? Um, getting clear on what your own values are in life. Like for me, we talked about this, like one is like freedom and that spontaneity, but also feeling grounded and like secure at the same time. So getting clear on what your own values are, that's probably what you're going to appreciate in someone else. Um, and then once you are clear on it, like really what I recommend and what I do with all my clients is writing down a list of literally anything you can think of. I mean, of course you can write down, you know, what they look like, what they like, but also like, how do they make you feel? Like, how are you guys spending your days and your time together and putting that list away? And because like what I've heard this on many different podcasts as well, like with a similar exercise, people like find that list like years later, like a year later, they forget about it and then they see it and then their partner, like, yeah, it might not hit a hundred percent, but you're at like 85, 90%. And often the last couple of things are like things that you can grow into together. So um, the universe works in interesting ways. So like once you get clear on it, that reticular activating system is going to start filtering in people that you're, you know, focused on those qualities for. It is funny because I, I completely agree with that. When you're more open to it, that's when opportunities do arise. <clears throat> I found in my own personal life as well, when like when you're more open to, okay, I'm less focused on work right now, I'm more focused on dating, that's when all of a sudden these dating opportunities pop up. It's like not much really changed besides your mindset there. Yeah. And the the course I'm taking on manifestation specifically, they're ta- they talk a lot about the conscious mind versus the subconscious mind. And that the subconscious, which is ruling like pretty much everything, 95% of the mind, um, it associates pressure with like survival. So the more pressure that you put on some area of your life or stress even, your subconscious is associating that with survival. So it's like not helping it come easily, right? It's like physically pressure. If you think of like pressures, like, oh my God, I can't breathe or whatever that may be. So the more that you can release that pressure, like the more enjoyable experience that you're going to be having um, and, you know, not really associated as much to that. One point on that too, related to the pressure, I was talking to a buddy about how as we apply this pressure on different areas of our lives, our brain kicks into fight or flight. And when your brain is kicked into fight or flight, you're devoting very critical resources such as energy, blood flow, things like that to your vital organs and just maintaining survival, where when you're doing this, you're not as able to clearly visualize the life you want, think more abstractly. You need to be in a peaceful, enjoyable, excited mindset to be able to start to think of these big picture things. If if there's a, a tiger in the bushes next to you, your brain's not going to want to allocate resources to thinking five years ahead and what life you want it's going to be focused on just surviving now. Mm. So learn to, like we talked about earlier, step away, be in a zend out state. And then when you do have that peace and space, you'll be able to better understand yourself as well as to have fun creating the life you want and thinking about the possible options. Definitely. Definitely. That's so huge. Yeah. Like really regulating your nervous system so that you feel calm um, when you can envision that. Yeah. Cause it's like, if you're not calm, it's just not a priority. <laughs> the fight or flight is. 
And related to dating, one more thing I'd like to talk about is, okay, so people have gone, they've learned about what they want. Maybe I'm someone who, okay, I really want a partner who shares my love of weightlifting or I'm super into tennis and I want someone who plays tennis. I'd love if you could talk a little bit about how to go about and meet these people. Because I think that one funny problem people always run into, and I, I hear everyone talking about this, it's like, oh, I didn't meet so-and-so at the bar or the club. And you can meet plenty of great people there, but it's all about also meeting people around your shared interests and not just sticking to the expected approach of, okay, everyone meets at bars, everyone meets at clubs, everyone meets here, so let me go do that. I, I'm not sure if that's something that you've run into as you've been helping people with their dating journeys. For sure, because that's a really big focus is like, okay, where do I meet this person, right? And so, yeah, shared interests are big and also shared values as well. Where are the people that value the entrepreneurial mindset or, you know, whatever it may be for you? Like, where are they going? And there's, you know, because dating apps are so big, but also I like to think of dating, like meeting people in the same way that you would diversify an investment portfolio, right? And have multiple investments. You would like also diversify your dating portfolio, if you will, or dating life where you have more opportunities to meet people. Because again, it's releasing that pressure that's focused on like one stream of dating or meeting people rather. So yeah, I feel like there's many different things. I would I would first start to look for, along with dating apps, like how can you join organizations, join clubs, leagues, right? Things that are matching up with the interests that you have because then when you attend it, right, it's like, I'm going to have a good time regardless um, of, you know, who's there. And also keeping in mind that the love of your life might not be there, but like you don't know who the people there know. And I think that's something often people forget and they'll go to like an event or a meetup or, or like whatever. And they're like, oh, there's no like hot guys or there's no hot girls or whatever. But it's like, did you make a connection there with someone that you haven't, you don't know yet, right? Because then you don't know where that could lead. Um, so keeping an open mind with that. And I think also too, like if you live in an area where there are um, – restaurants or bars, whatever it may be. Yes, it's good to go out at night if you want to do that, but also like becoming a regular at a spot or maybe it could be a coffee shop. Um, maybe it could be like your gym. I know you're like the pro at this, Jake, is like being the regular, being who everyone knows. And then obviously you meet a ton of people, right? And how you have all those connections. So basically be like Jake. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> you are the expert at this. But like once people know who you are, right, at a place that you go frequently, you're just naturally going to meet other people through them as well. Yeah, it reminds me of this saying or I guess concept I've heard of like finding your third home where you have your actual home, you have work, and then finding that third place where you spend the majority of your time, people get to know you, you become involved in the community. And then a really big point you made, which I just want to double down on is being able to think long term, quote unquote, play the long game, where instead of going out and being like, oh, I didn't meet the love of my life. It's like, no, 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 no. Spend time around your values and interests, meet other people who share those value and in values and interests. Over time, they will introduce you to more people who share those values and interests. Yeah, I think it's one of those things too, where especially because of like the 
strangeness of the area of dating. Like we've been conditioned that it should just happen in a moment. Like it should come very easily. It should be like, oh, our person's just there. When in reality for other parts of life, like if you wanted your dream job, if you wanted your dream like fitness and whatever it may be, right? Like you would have to take consistent action. You would probably make a game plan to get you there and it might not happen overnight. Definitely with fitness, probably not, right? With your job, (laughs) potentially. But it's going to take like the same, you know, consistency and effort and energy. Um, And I think a lot of the times people think like, oh, if it's not just showing up, what am I doing wrong? Or like, why isn't this working? And it's like, well, actually, no, that's kind of just like a belief that like you do have to be putting yourself out there and like putting the energy and effort behind it like you would any other goal or any other intention that you want to create in your life. Yeah, people just learning to shift their mindset instead of thinking it's zero or one, either it's happening or it's not, thinking, okay, this is an area that's important to me. It's going to happen over time if I just keep putting in the time and living more of my authentic life around these interest values and socializing. So let me just go ahead and keep doing it and have faith like we talked about earlier, trusting the process, that kind of thing. Yeah, something I have my clients do, and I do this for myself as well in other areas, is like tracking your progress of what you have done. Because I think often our, our brain just forgets a lot of things. And if we're having a down day or feeling discouraged about dating or anything else, it can be like, oh, I haven't made any progress. But if you can like open up the notes app on your phone and have a list of like, okay, I did go out that night. Okay, I did talk to this person, right? It doesn't have to be nitty gritty or too much detail, but having, again, going back to that track record, because then you're again, just reinforcing in your mind, like I am making progress, like this is happening. I'm stepping into this. Yeah, really focusing on what's in your control and the binary of am I taking action? If I am taking action, then I am getting closer, even if it doesn't feel like it. For sure, for sure. Yeah, it's huge. One other question I have is for those people who are single and maybe thinking about, oh, should I get into a relationship? Do you have any advice for deciding, okay, should I stay single? Should I get into a relationship? Kind of going back to pros and cons, I know that there's pros and cons to everything. So I'm wondering like your thoughts on maybe staying single versus being in a relationship and when it might be time to seek a relationship or be open to a relationship. Mm, mm. Oh, I like that question. I feel like it depends a lot on like where you're at personally in your life. Like if you're craving like traveling or freedom and things like there's of course always exceptions, but if you if you're still want the freedom per se, not that you can't do this when you're in a relationship, but you want that like solo lifestyle or solo freedom, then maybe it's not the right time. Like for me personally, when I knew I was going on the documentary trip, I mean maybe I went on a date here and there, but I didn't that wasn't really a priority for me. I was like, I know I'm gonna be gone for this chunk of cha- chunk of time. Um and then I think when you Yeah, I don't know. That's a hard question. I feel like it's a very personal thing where also sometimes certain people come into your life that like you weren't looking for a relationship and then you're like, wow, this person like really makes my life like this whole new experience. And that's something too where it's like that unpredictable piece that like people don't like to hear because it's, you know, it's uncertain. Um, that I've also seen too, where people weren't necessarily looking for a relationship, but then they met someone and it was like, oh, of course, you know, of course I, now it's a priority for me. 
Um, yeah. yeah, I don't know. That's kind of hard to answer. I feel like it's, yeah, it's very, very personal. No, I, I love that. And I think there are a couple of good things to pick out of there. One is, like you mentioned, if you want a solo life with complete freedom, like you you can still have freedom when you're with uh, a partner, but there is a difference in the level of freedom you have just by the fact that you are now with someone else and not alone. Recognizing that there is the trade-off of freedom for companionship, romance, and things like that. So knowing what the trade-offs are and then having that in mind but then additionally being open to opportunities that come your way where maybe at first you had it in your head. Okay. The vision of my life I want doesn't involve a partner yet, but then you meet someone who's so great that you kind of feel compelled to spend more time with them. That's not a bad thing. Being open to these opportunities and being willing, willing to change the definition of the life you want if it feels right and it feels good. Again, listening to your gut. Yeah, I feel like especially with dating and relationships, it's a lot about like it goes a lot about – oh my god, I can't get the words out. It's a lot about feeling, right? It's a lot about how you feel around that person and like what they bring out of you and what like you bring out of them and the experience there, which it can be hard to like – quantify that you know like until you're in it it's like okay it's hard to like kind of I don't know just hard to quantify it but yeah I love what you're saying there and then what I'd like to hop into next is one just a few wrap-up questions and then after that if we could just hear where people can find more find out more about you so starting with the the wrap-up questions I'd love to ask what's your definition of success and why? I know that everyone has different definitions. Some people want might want to be a big business mogul, other people might want to travel the world. So I'm wondering what yours is. Mm, I love this question. My definition of, of success is waking up every day and being able to spend the day how I want to spend it and being able to do what I want to do. It's like the core of it no matter no matter what the day is I can wake up and I have the freedom to do so. Yeah, it's it's funny cuz it's pretty much the exact same thing for me, just complete freedom, complete spontaneity and being able to just embrace that as a lifestyle. Yeah, I have a um I heard like a quote on I forget what I was listening to years ago, but it it was this like motivational speech and it was like to be able to live like wake up on a random Tuesday and to live the life of your wildest dreams, like that is li- like that is the best version of life. And I was like, yes. And so I always have like a weird thing for Tuesdays now where like if I can do something like cool or like weird or unique on a Tuesday, I feel like the ultimate rebel in the best sense. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm super with you. This highlights one point that I think about a lot, which is people are often trying to look for escapism oh, I need to go on this crazy trip. I need to go on this wild adventure. I need to go spend a ton of money, maybe renting out a yacht or going to the club. But after all these crazy adventures, you return back to your normal life and you are faced with your normal life again. And so what can bring more happiness over the long term is building out a life where day-to-day you're more excited. You enjoy that day-to-day life more. So Going on trips and fun adventures can add a lot of fulfillment and excitement, but by focusing on building the life you want that you don't need to escape from, you're able to wake up every morning, like on that random Tuesday you mentioned, and you're excited and thrilled just to live your life versus feeling like you need to get away from it. 
So I think that that's something that people could think about. How do I build the life I want where I can increase my baseline happiness every day versus, oh, how do I just keep grinding away and then escape from it occasionally by going on a trip or spending a lot of money or things like that? Definitely, definitely. The next question I want to ask is, if you could go back, is there anything that you would have done differently? Or another way to rephrase this, is there any advice you might give to someone who was in a similar position to you, maybe in younger Michelle's shoes? Ooh, oh my gosh. So I know I feel like the cl- cliche answer is like, no, I wouldn't because it led me to where I am. But I think I would have, <laughs> I would have, if I knew what I knew now, I would shift my career quicker or I would make decisions quicker than I did at the time um, because I knew it wasn't what I was supposed to be doing. I knew it was time to make a shift and I stayed in it for way too long. This also happened with my last like longer relationship where I stayed in it even though I knew because people were telling me something different. Like they're like, why would you leave this? Or like, everything seems great or whatever it may be. So I was really it comes down to, I was listening to other people's advice or opinions or thoughts rather more than I was listening to myself. And I always knew internally, but I wasn't necessarily listening to that inner voice or that gut feeling just yet. Um, so I would, I would, for anyone listening, I would get, like get quiet with yourself and tune into what do I truly want? What would, if, if nothing could go wrong, if everything could go right, what would I actually do? Um, and then make that decision or, or take a step in that direction before your brain starts talking out of it, because it inevitably will <laughs> 100%. No, that that's awesome. Like really visualizing the life you want, listening to your gut and thinking about what decisions would I make? If fear wasn't driving my decisions, if I could do anything, what would I do? Yeah, there's a great exercise I did years ago. It's actually, I believe it was, I believe it was in Tim Ferriss's book, The Four Hour Work Week, um, where oh, I forget what he calls it, but it's essentially, which I don't fear normally. Setting, yes, I yes, yes, yes. Where you go to like the worst possible, or like the every fear that's coming up, and you're like, okay, if this happened, like what would actually happen? Because often you know, for me personally, like the worst case thing I could think of, I'm like, okay, I lose all my money. I get kicked out of my apartment. Uh, (laughs) I don't even know what else there would be maybe at that point. But, um, for me, I'm like, okay, but like I have a, sorry. No, it's okay. (laughs) Um, yeah. So basically, you know, going to any fear that you can think of thinking about like, okay, what would actually happen and getting it like out of your head onto a piece of paper. Cause for me, it was like, okay, I could like lose all my money, go into debt, get evicted from my ha- house or apartment, like lose my, whatever it may be. But I'm like, okay, if that actually all happened, which is very unlikely it will. Right. Then like, I do have, like, I could stay with my brother for a little bit. I could stay with a friend, right? I could get back on, I could get a job, right? Whatever it may be. So often when you get it out on paper, it makes it feel like our brain, like you were saying earlier, it starts to create solutions. And we're like, okay, if this actually happened, this is what I would do. And then it provides that, that assurance. That's awesome. Yeah. So fear setting. And then two more questions. One is, 
Where can people find out more about, uh, where can people find more of you? Where can people get in touch with you? Where can people reach out if they want to learn more about your journey or maybe get a little bit help with high caliber dating? Yeah. So the easiest place would be to go to michellewax.com. So wax like beeswax. And um, that would probably be the easiest. And that has, you know, the links to my email and to Instagram and all of that. And yeah, if anyone has any questions, anything you're going through, like always reach out because I love to talk about this type of stuff. (laughs) Awesome. Yeah, I I really enjoyed talking about it as well. And then last question is any parting advice or thoughts you'd like to share with our listeners? Ooh, I think I think a really big one, which we touched on is like, knowing that the quote unquote negative emotions or the self doubt or the fear or the nervousness or the stress, it will come up. It's a part of being human. And the more that you can like release judging yourself for having those emotions or for going down that spiral, the better, like acknowledging it is just a part of the human experience. That's something that really, really helped me because I feel like for the longest time I I would try to push away that so much. And then when I actually allowed myself to sit with it, it like passed, like it like got released and I was able to like continue on. So um, as much as you can, like become friends with those type of things, because we'll probably always be there in a sense, uh, no matter what you're doing or what you change or shift. Yeah. Just learning to really be in touch with who you are, accepting yourself for who you are and knowing that these negative emotions are not you and then just sitting with them and then eventually they will pass. For sure. For sure. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Michelle, and looking forward to sharing this with our audience. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. All right. I'll talk to you later. Bye. Bye. All right. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. I hope you enjoyed this episode and got some value from it. If you want to hear more content on decision-making, thriving in uncertainty, eliminating ambiguity and regret minimization, as well as other similar topics, feel free to check out my YouTube channel, and my website, letsgetreckless.com. And definitely reach out and let me know what you thought about this episode. Improving the show is a continuous process, and your feedback helps me make this better over time and focus more on the content that's most helpful for you. Have a great day, and I'll see you in the next episode.